Welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. I'm Jay Late Night Larson. And I'm Lyndon Chalky Cabellion. In each episode, we will be talking to different surfers and surf shops to learn more about them and their passion for surfing. We will be diving deep into their experiences as well as their involvement and contributions to their local communities. Be sure to check out our website and Instagram feed for updates on future shows. Thank you for your support and we look forward to sharing these great stories with you. And now a word from our sponsors. Yes, we got sponsors. First up, Foo Wax. The best wax in the game. This stuff is so sticky and grippy, you'll never slip off your stick again. Ever. Ever. Again. So go to your local surf shop. And, and make sure they carry it. And if they don't, demand it. Demand it. You'll be stoked. Try it out. Our next sponsor, Bonsai Bowls. Oh. I know a lot of our listeners have, have had one of these. And if they haven't, they're going to now. They're missing out. They're missing out. It's a healthy, delicious, amazing, fresh acai bowl with tons of fruit and organic like ingredients. They've got five locations in Southern California. From Huntington to San Clemente and all in between. Two in Hawaii. Two in Hawaii for that, those on the North Shore. And, um, you know, come support these guys. They have amazing Asahi bowls and they support the West Coast board riders and a lot of the surf events up and down the coast. And they've made it a lot easier With to get them. They've got their own app now. That's right. Go to your app store and download Bonsai Bowl app and you can pre-order, pre-pay and just go pick up. Cut cut through the line. And for our listeners of the Late Night with Chalky podcast, you're going to get 15 off your next bowl. A 15% discount off yes. Bonsai Bowls. That's insane. Um, so make sure to mention the Late Night with Chalky podcast and you get 15% off That's at right. Bonsai Bowls. And one of our other favorite restaurants, oh, Caliente, Caliente OC. Caliente Southwest.com. They offer healthy Mexican style food with local uh, organic ingredients. Family owned. Family owned. Their phone number is 949-515-0909. And our listeners get 15% off there as well. Yeah. So mention Late Night with Chalky Podcast and get 15% off at Caliente OC. And both these guys are great at catering events. So you could use them for a shop event, corporate event, birthday event, wedding, all of the above. They love to party. And last but not least, we are super stoked to welcome Olo Clip as a new sponsor of the Late Night with Chalky podcast. What is Oloclip? Uh, they make the original mobile lens system for your phone. So these can make clips that hold the lenses, the cases that are designed to make it really easy to get the clip on the phone. So check them out at oloclip.com. And for all the Late Night with Chalky podcast listeners, they get 10% off. That's, that's huge. Huge. So at checkout, the code is SURF10, that's S-U-R-F, the ten. number 10, and you get 10% off Oloclip. And you guys got to check check out our Instagram. We're going to be posting pictures with these wide, in, wide lens uh, angles, uh, fish eye, all kinds of cool like photo options with your phone. And for you uh, rich dudes out there, like late night, they do make cl- uh, <laughs> lenses for iPhone 11s. What? What? Epic. Thank you, sponsors. Thank you. Friends and family, brothers and sisters, welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. Welcome. We got an awesome guest today. You guys are going to be stoked to hear his story. 
Uh, if you've heard of Banks Journal, one of the coolest fucking brands around. Yeah. We're Bar gonna, none. We're going to hear the ins and outs of everything Banks Journal and the history of Rama McCabe. One of the, the founders, right? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, guys, for having me. It's um, a pleasure to be in here with you and chatting about the brand and some surf stuff and, and possibly myself a little bit. But yeah, it's, um, I'm excited to, to chat with you both. Wow. Nice. Awesome. So as you listeners will hear, Rama is Australian. Let's the start. Accent. <laughs> the accent will give it away. Yeah, yeah just slightly. Yeah. So let's start at the beginning, Rama. Where, where, were you, where are you from? I'm from a little place called Byron Bay on the east coast of Australia. I grew up there from um, age of uh, four years old until I was about 18 when I left. Um, and uh, it's, it's got to be one of the most amazing, idyllic places to grow up in the world. There's, yeah. there's waves 12 months of the year, there's incredible tourism there, so you have people from all around the world that can kind of influence you as you grow up, which is, um, I think, one of the, the unique parts of living there is you, you get all these different people around you all the time, which yeah. kind of help shape you. So yeah. It's, um, Diversity breeds creativity. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're a well-rounded person. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully. Like um, that, that's that's the, the aim, I guess. Like it's uh, it's because it's a small town. You, it, generally, you wouldn't have lots of different um, multicultural kind of influences on yeah. you, uh, which I think is um, a shame if you if you don't have that around you. But right. being in a really tourist generated town, you're having people from every point yeah. of the globe around you all the time, and whether it's food or music, you're just always getting influenced or, or surfing styles. It's um, it was a it was a hotbed to grow up in. It was amazing. Yeah. For, for, I've been there, and I love it. Um, I, for those that haven't been there, uh, I, I feel like it's very similar to like Santa Barbara-esque with it's a small beach community, but yeah. with really good waves 12 months out of the year. Yeah. You know, where Santa Barbara doesn't really get the waves. So I can't, I'm not comparing it to like wave quality-wise. You know, the scenery but, and but the, the, the kind of the vibe and the culture and like... Small town. Small town, but you get, you get a lot of tourism, and it's yeah. just like... Really eclectic, like cool little, little spot. Someday I'll make it to Australia. Oh, you need to get there. The, I've I've got a bed for you anytime. <laughs> Thank you. So let's start uh, at the beginning. And so you were Byron Bay. Yep. What age did you start surfing? Um, who, I start, who introduced you into surfing? Uh, it, it's it's a funny one. Uh, so weirdly enough, my um, my dad was a. a, a a prominent kind of DIY surfer, which is a beach from the northern, a uh, beach on the northern beach of Sydney, and he um, he was a part of like a, a movement in surfing. He was in some of the first um, surfing world magazines, like uh, double page spreads and stuff. Surfing um, lots of beautiful waves all around Australia back in the day when there wasn't many people around, and um, so that was an influence on me really early on. And then um, my brother also uh, was a competitive surfer when I was growing up and surfed amazing and did a lot of the junior series which is um, a pretty powerful kind of hotbed of, of surfers back in the day yeah. in Australia. Um, Are you guys related to Peter McCabe or not at all? So that's on my mother's side of the family oh. and um, it's like he's like a distant cousin of, of my mother's. I've never met Peter and that question comes up a lot actually yeah. so I think I asked I, you that before yeah I feel like I need to meet him one day so I can say yes I have met him but um no I haven't um but yeah so my brother was uh I, I always I looked up to my brother so much my whole life like he's, how much um, uh, older is he five years, five years. Five. okay it's time to commit 
2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, so he was. Um, What's his name? Pratamo Arendt. And he's the, the het Pratamo. So we both got really weird names. We, we come from um, a bit uh, yeah. of a hi- hippie upbringing. But, um, yes. What's your father's name? Henry. What? Henry. You go from yeah. Henry to Rama and. What's your mom's name? Bernadette. And they're both hippies? They, they were. My mom's gone back to being pretty kind of um, Conservative. regular. Yeah. Um, she comes from a big kind of Irish Catholic family. Yeah. And um, and so she's gone back to being pretty in line with that, whereas my dad has remained um, living in a pretty alternative kind of lifestyle environment. Are your parents not together anymore? No, they broke up uh, when I was about four years old. Oh, so, wow. yeah. so early? Yeah, really early. And then so I, I grew up mainly with my mom. And um, what I was saying about the, the surf influences through my, my dad and my brother were really strong, but the person that actually first got me in the water was my mom. Um, awesome. Yeah, at a, at a beautiful little point break environment called The Pass, which is like the most idyllic place to learn how to surf in the world. It's like um, a longer version of Malibu, but sand bottom, warm water, sun's always out. And just back when I was growing up or learning how to surf, there wasn't that many people there in the water. Yeah. Whereas now there's like a thousand yeah. surf schools. Yeah, it's you, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately and fortunately. <laughs> totally. So... Yeah, it was actually my mum got me in the water for the first time. And, and, um, what age? I, I think I was about 10 years old when she first like got me in. So Kind of late for an Australian, right? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it Definitely around that area, it, it, it is. Like most kids were surfing a lot younger. But you're me. probably doing beach days and hanging out. like. Yeah, like I lived on the beach, um, but I just never really got into the whole surfing thing yeah. for, for whatever reason. Um, not really sure actually looking back on it I've never really thought about why it took were you so skateboarding long. or I was skateboarding a little bit but I, I stopped skateboarding pretty soon after Surfing. learning how to surf because I broke my arm going down my dad's driveway we'd wet the driveway down and like sl- like these slides <laughs> power slides and, yeah like crazy gnarly up. ones yeah and it was a brick driveway and there'd be like the gnarliest little bits where you'd hit and just fall and get so hurt but like the heaps of kids in the street would do it together and this one time I fell off and broke my arm, and I was like, I'm done. Yeah. That's not happening. Because yeah. I was out of the water for like two months. And um, I think that's something that's happened in my life 
that anything that like keeps me out of the water for a prolonged amount of time, I just yeah. kind of, you know, I don't need that really. <laughs> so, I'm the same yeah. way, bro. Water's, yeah. water's a little softer. Yeah, totally. It's a lot nicer to fall on for sure. So, so do you remember, does your, did your mom surf? My mom surfed a little bit. She, she was like bodyboarding a little bit at the time. Um, and like, I think I was looking up to my brother a lot and like badgering my mom about getting me in the water. And so she, eventually she, um, she got me a board. The first board I ever had was um, a Wendy Botha board. You oh, know, wow. Shit. Yeah, I know who that is. <laughs> was she world champion? She's world champion, right? I think right? she was world champion. Yeah. So it was know. like this old Wendy Botha board that I think, I don't know how she came about it, but it flowed to me at some stage. And it was like a full <laughs> deck grip Wendy Botha and it had like all the, her, like, uh, her sponsors on it, which yeah. were all like women's brands. I can't remember them right now. <laughs> But it was like, I didn't even realize I was so young, didn't, didn't yeah. even know. But yeah, you're just stoked to have a board. Totally. And then a few years later, I, I can remember finding the board like underneath my house and go, oh my God, I can't believe I was riding that. That's like the most embarrassing thing ever. Yeah. But it was um, it was awesome. It got me in the water. So it's, yeah. uh, that's, that's always a good thing. So did you quickly start uh, getting in the contest or get part of that club uh, yeah so like riders club out there yeah so like every pretty much every town um on the east coast of australia has a has a board riders club yeah and the it's crazy how competitive those things are and you'd meet once a month and because byron's like a hotbed of surfing it's got like danny wills is from there and like a bunch of other great surfers um and uh it was just the only thing you wanted to do once you got into it because yeah. all your friends did it and there was some great young surfers around and so it was super competitive and then like our school system also has like a really good surfing kind of part to it too so wow. it was like scholastic titles and then yeah the board riders contest and then junior series so there's um it seemed like once i kind of got into surfing there was just every weekend there was something to do uh to do with that whether it was like traveling up and down the coast doing contests or whatnot so nice. um yeah it was a great way to grow up you meet so many like yeah. lifelong friends from it and it's it's funny to see where everyone's kind of gone like now in my late 30s um seeing people that have obviously gone really well in surfing and yeah. other people have kind of drifted off into their own kind of paths so i think yeah. that's one benefit to competitive surfing at a young age is it gets you out of your hometown and up and down the coast <laughs> yeah, you know like so normally true. where you wouldn't yeah. and you know oh i'm gonna go here because the waves are the swells good but that yeah. you know it forces you to kind of like travel up and down the, the coast a little bit more yeah. which is huge too and interact with different people yeah yeah get you out of your comfort zone and with yeah. your brother five years older would, would he take you up and down the coast like hey like Kira's going off. Let's go. Or you know what? We we did it for a little, like when he was um, at like his last year in the junior series. So he must have been um, twenty twenty one, and then I, I would have been like sixteen. Yeah, we were just kind of I was old enough to I guess travel with him a little bit, and he was still doing doing the junior series. So we traveled a little bit through that period, uh, which was really fun. My my brother was like um, he's an extremely charismatic guy and. Um, he would always drag me into some fun experiences, which is nice. great, whether it's in or, in or out of the water, day yeah. or night. Like, there was always some um, good stuff going on around him. Uh, so he, he's a bit of, he was definitely kind of the life of the party when he was around, which was um, really good to, to, yeah. to be involved with when I was a kid. Who, so. who, who were the hot, like, surfers that went on to, like, professional surfing in your, like, group or your, your town? So, like, the, I guess Danny Wills is... Um, like the age group above me yeah um but like he was the probably like 
I'd say the best surfer that's come out of sure. out of Byron. Like he, I think he got second in the world one year yeah. to Kelly. Yeah. Um, and if he hadn't have nosedived at Pipe, he probably would have won the world title that year. So. Is it that close? Yeah, yeah. He he the heat he had a wave. I think I forget the score that he needed, but if he had have made that heat, he um would have won the world title. So it was wow. like crazy. Crazy close. He won two the two contests in Japan that year. Yeah. So he had like an amazing run. Um, and I think was it not Mick Lowe? Um, oh yeah, there was one other Australian that was kind of running for the world title that year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he was he was like a huge influence for everyone. Yeah. And then I guess Kieran Perro after that has been the second mm. kind of most um, cool. uh, well known surfer to come out of Byron. But then like there was obviously like Byron's really close to the Gold Coast. So you've got like. Paco, um, you got Mick, you've got Dingo, you've got all these amazing stuff. Yeah, that work. you got a bunch of guys. Everybody yeah. rips in Australia. Yeah. Well, the, a the, lot of the waves are good rip in Australia. The waves are good all year round, yeah. really. Like especially on the east coast. Like as you get to closer to the Gold Coast, you get stuck by some like land masses that stop the swell getting in all the time. But yeah. further south, you've got waves all year round, so you've you can surf all the time. Yeah. So, and that, I guess that's what makes people surf better: is the more you surf, the more waves you catch. Yeah. Um, and, so the, uh, it's definitely more. You know, it's the main sport, kind of. Like yeah. Outside of you know rugby yeah. and stuff, like cricket. everybody participate. Yeah, cricket. Everybody, yeah. you know participated at the beach yeah. a lot more. So well, the whole country, like you think about Australia, it's, it's quite a large landmass, but I think it's like 95% of the population live within an hour and a half drive of the coast. Yeah, yeah. So like there's, it's weird, you come to America and you talk to people that have never even seen the ocean, whereas if you said that an Australian would say that, you'd be like, there's no way that's possible. Like <laughs> right. you, you, you can be the surf in like an hour and a half. So yeah. it's, um, it's such a big part of Australian lifestyle is yeah. getting to the beach on the weekend and getting sunburned, I guess, and getting in the water. And you get yeah. sunburned there. Yeah. Yeah, there's a pig ozone hole straight over it. So, so how, how did you do in the contest? Um, I, I did uh, okay, but, like, I, I realized um, at, like, probably 18 that it wasn't going to take me anywhere, and I'd seen, like, a lot of um, slightly older friends really chase it for possibly too long. Yeah. And, um, and... Larson. I mean, sorry. <laughs> No, well, I guess no. I, 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 not too long, but like I just wanted something different for myself. Yeah. And and I think those you're people smart. That, well, I, I, I think some of those people that did did uh, pursue it longer than me have had incredible life experiences that I didn't have. And I went I went after a different path, which I'm really happy I did. But I also don't know what I could have missed out on. Yeah. Um, so. so, so uh, did you get sponsored and? Yeah, yeah, I was sponsored by O'Neill when I was younger for for a long time. Um, I rode for Chili Surfboards for for a bunch of time. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was awesome. I loved yeah. it. I loved competing, and and it's. What was your? How old were you when you first got your first sponsored? Oh gosh, yeah. Um, I think I was like. 14 or something yeah like in Australia it, ha- it happened I guess in the US as well it happens pretty young if, you, if yeah. you're at a lot of contests yeah. you're seeing like um, uh, team managers and stuff it kind of falls together pretty quickly I guess um, and if you're part of the your board writers group and you're excelling within your peers yeah. or like okay we gotta get this guy on he's, he's yeah. doing well at the contest like you said but yeah I think I think it's you know it's just being part of the big picture. Like if you're you're doing the board riders and you're traveling around, you're you're an advocate to surf and lifestyle. So it's like, yeah. But yeah. isn't that such a you know we talk to our you know guests about it all the time that you know 
when you first get sponsored, the the the, the pride and how how stoked you are, right? Mm. Yeah. When, when somebody finally recognizes, you, tells you, "Hey, you're you're ripping. Yeah. You're good enough to surf for us. Yeah. Like here's a box of clothes. Here's a sticker. Yeah. You know. Yeah, the sticker I think is the highlight. <laughs> Isn't that as, funny? Yeah, as a kid, I think like getting that sticker was was more important than the clothes yeah, or right? anything. It was crazy, and you'd just be so happy to like put it on your board every time, and yeah. you'd almost want a new board just so you could like put the sticker on. <laughs> yeah. it. It was, um, sticker placement was so crucial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally, oh, totally. Yeah. And it's so funny how sticker placement has gone through such different trends as well. Yeah. Like, like 90s is all about the nose, like it could be nowhere else. And yeah. then like Dane came along and put it like halfway down under his front foot, so everyone would, like shifted it down a little bit. Yeah. yeah. It's funny how that. Or that's people would draw time. their logos on their. Yeah, board. like Kelly when he was drawing the Quicksilver logos. Yeah and stuff like it's um it's interesting how how those um trends have developed so o'neill was your first sponsor yeah yeah i wrote to them until i was um uh, maybe like until i was like 20 actually were they pretty Um, big in australia like as far as like brand recognition and like in distribution size or yeah they they they're decent size they're definitely like top kind of four four brands within the australian market so um I, i guess at the time it w- it seemed cool and yeah. like I, I definitely wasn't um, I think it's changed a lot now like surfers are looking to um, non-surf and endemic brands to, yeah. to, because they think they're they're cooler I guess to some to some degree um, but back then it was all about surf brands it was all about the big brands yeah so well was, yeah uh, in Australia it was definitely the mecca of big surf brands back then with yeah. you know Billabong Quicksilver Rip Curl yeah. and I mean I don't know what other I don't know, Insight, maybe yeah. Hot Tuna, some, yeah, Hot Summer Tuna. Guards. Yeah, like, yeah. But O'Neill was a pretty big global brand back then. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. You wrote for wetsuits and yeah, wetsuits and clothing. Nice. What um, boards? Uh, Chili surfboards. Oh, that's right, Chili. Yeah. And before the, before I got into Chili, I was writing for Town and Country for a while because they they their um, Australian shaping business has run out of Byron, so that was like the. Apart from like, have you heard of Mad Dog surfboards? Yeah. yeah. So it was like Mad Dog Town and Country. Um, and Michael Cundiff, who MC, who Danny rode, Danny Wills rode for, like through his career a lot. Um, so yeah, there's like three kind of main board companies in Byron that everyone kind of got slipped into at some stage. It's funny you mentioned Mad Dog, and when you think about like Japanese brands, yeah, and they or shops, like they have the funniest names. Yeah, yeah, right, like yeah. wetsuit, you know. Rash. Yeah, totally. You know, like, yeah. why would you call your wetsuit rash? Yeah, so that's the exact opposite thing that you want when yeah. you're wearing a wetsuit. It like, makes no sense. Silky, like, smooth, buttery wetsuits. Like, yeah, totally. No, like, rash. be wet. Yeah. Like, be wet wetsuits. Like, yeah. what does that mean? What, what could that mean? So, is that going to have a hole in it? Are you going to be totally cold the whole time? It's, it never makes sense. It's so weird. But Australians had some some silly names, too. Like you said, Mad Dog Surf. Yeah. Hot tuna, is Hot a weird tuna. One. yeah. There's, uh, there's a couple of mangoes too. Mango, yep. Mango's yep. almost cool though. Yeah, well, it's almost. Cool. It's a delicious fruit. It's a yeah, delicious fruit. I love mango actually. That makes me want to have one now. Um, but yeah, so it's yeah, mad hot dog butter. is funny. Hot, hot butter, butter yeah. yeah. What the hell? Why would you call it hot butter? Uh, no it's idea. Just, Australians have. You can put butter on everything. It's mambo. Good. 
Mambo. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was named after Reg Mombasa, who was the um, the artist who was kind of involved with starting that brand. So it was okay. like Mambo, Reg Mombasa. So it was the still kind a of, funny sounding name. It is for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Australians aren't the best at pronunciation and the English language in general. Really, we like to butcher it as much as possible. But you guys always sound cool. Well, I, I think not to ourselves. I think when I hear an Australian accent, when I'm out in the wild, especially here in the US, I usually turn away and run away. I'm like, really? I need to get as far away from that person as possible. They sound so horrible, and just vacate the the premises. It's funny. I wouldn't yeah. expect that. When we traveled, they loved Americans and the American accent, and I'm like, and I bring this up all the time. I'm like, well, half the shows on TV are all from America. Like, yeah. I sound the same as everybody on the TV, and they're but, like, no, it's different. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, I can remember like growing up and you'd hear an American accent and you're like, oh, this is so good. I love this. <laughs> this is amazing. I want to meet a girl from America. This is gonna be so good. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a funny one. I think you, in Australia, you just grow up with so much American pop culture that yeah. you feel so attached to it from a very early age yeah. because all the, all the big movies, all the movie stars, yeah. all the, Whoever the surfing stars are all usually Americans, so you um, you feel so attached to it from such a young age. Whereas any other kind of accent out there, it isn't in your life as much growing up in in Australia. So um, yeah, you feel close to it pretty early. So um, growing up, you know, you, you lived in paradise pretty much. But did you go on surf trips at all? Like, what kind of uh, trips did you go on? My um my first surf trip was actually to Hawaii. Um, I forget what year it was. It, I was sixteen. Um, so that's like twenty years ago. Um, O'Neill. Yeah, yeah. I went with O'Neill, and then I ended up just staying with my brother though, because he was he's judging the um the world tour back then mm. as well. Um, so I stayed with him on the beach in Sunset, and um. My dad actually came over too, which was really cool. Wow. My first overseas trip with my dad, and I grew up, because I grew up with my mom, uh, my dad and I never really had those um, opportunities, so it was really beautiful to go over there with my brother and my dad and like hang out for a couple months. And um, Was it everything you expected, like watching it on all the like videos and movies <laughs> and everything? I mean, it's it, always a shock when you get there and you see how small like the North Shore yeah. is, but how it, lively it, it is. It petrified me, to be yeah. honest. Like, I, my, my first surf was... Me um, too. Yeah, it's, it's a scary place. It, it's, it's definitely not what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Well, it was bigger and more intense than what I thought it was going to be. And my first surf, when I got to the North Shore, was like tiny pinballs at Waimea. It was like really small, barely breaking. And um, a few other people I knew were going out there. I went out there and stuffed that, and that was kind of mellow. And I was like, oh, okay, this is kind of fun, and like not what, but this is okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy my time. And then the rest of the time, I was kind of just scared shitless the whole time. So it's yeah, just yeah. like no waves I'd ever surf with anything like that. Yeah. Um, going out at sunset, getting cleaned up by big like west bowls, and just going, this is I should not be here. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a good experience because you you're around incredible surfers that are. Uh, their careers in that, in that point of the year are make or break. They've got everything on For the sure. line. They've got their lives. They've got contracts or like so much money and whatever. Yeah. And, and you were sixteen. Yeah, I was sixteen. So. Yeah. Um, and that's a probably one of the times that you kind of realized a moment in time. You're like, you know, fuck. Like, this is what pro surfing's about too. Yeah. Like you, you got to come out here and charge yeah totally right. totally um 
Yeah, so maybe that's why I never wanted to go back. <laughs> the back of your head. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, but I love Hawaii now. Like, I actually spend a lot of time over there now uh, for yeah. work stuff, and, and I really enjoy it. I love the people, and I, I love the culture, and it's um, it's one of the most unique places I've ever been in my life. Yeah, so it, it. it's, it's very funny going from, like, a kid on a, on a pure, like, surfing trip to now I'm, I'm there for work and... and friends that I've made that I, I, I want in my life forever yeah it's a it's a very huge transition that I've had over the last couple of years with, with that place and yeah. it's um it's nice to have the, my viewpoint on that place change a lot as well so cool. um how, how yeah. long were you there for on that trip I was there for two months wow yeah so it, I, it just got beaten out of me I think I was like I, <laughs> I've had enough for a while yeah so, um that's a lot of uh poundings yeah, yeah, yeah. Way, way, way too many. Way too many. So um, how, how scary is that when, you know, you have big uh, aspirations and expectations mm. and then, you know, you, you probably charge big waves at home, right? You get comfortable at home. Nothing like, nothing like that. Sure. Right? I know, yeah. I know. Yeah. But then, you know, you ordered boards for Hawaii. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And then you're like, you, you, you pack them and you, you order boards that are two to three feet longer yeah. than what you usually, you know, yeah. used to, right? And you're yeah. like, fuck yeah, I got fucking my guns, I got my, you know, step <laughs> up, I got this, I got yeah. that. I'm 16 years old, I'm going to go to Hawaii and yeah. ride the wild surf, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then to go over there and you're like, you know, before you even surf, you probably saw some waves, you're like, mm. oh, maybe I can, I, I, I can do that, you yeah. know? And then... You get out there and you get humbled. So humbled. So, <laughs> so humbled. Yeah. It, it's like nothing else I'd ever experienced. Like everything's so close and there's backwash and there's like wind and it's, it's raw. Yeah, yeah it's so really raw. Elements. And yeah. not to mention the other surfers and, and like Hawaiians that yeah. you, you have to kind of like yeah. navigate through, right? Like Completely. It's, a, it's a scary. It's at, intimidating for sure. At yeah. 16 years old, at fucking, you know, 30 years old, like yeah. going to Hawaii is no joke. I'm, unless you are prepared for it. Yeah, and I'm sure it's only gotten worse and more yeah. intense these days because there's more kids that are, are looking at making a, a career out of surfing, yeah. more, more so I, than any time in history, I'd say. I spent a lot of time over there, and, and yeah, you 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 get excited, you know, build up tolerance, and you get <laughs> out there, and you, you start working your way, you know, up, up the surfing scale. Yeah. And... It was a must. If you wanted to be a pro surfer or you wanted to be, you know, looked at amongst your peers or magazines or sponsors, you had to chart. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know? Totally. Laurie, <clears throat> tell them the story about you surfing, I think, off the wall or back door with, uh, with Slater. Yeah. Oh, this one week was this phenomenal. And I think it was like, I think one of the Malloys, P- Miles Padaka, like Matt Archibald, me, Kelly. It was only like six of us. And it was like, just, I mean, it was bombing, but there were some gems and it would, you'd take off on one and then it would take you like, you know, 15 on the head just to make it back out. And, you know, I was just like crawling out of my skin, like freaking out. Yeah. And like, I see Slater come, he, he, he just paddled out from like pipe and then he started coming down towards us and we got caught inside on probably like 15 waves on the head and he was like, this is the most work I gotten all winter. And maybe, you know, I was just kind of like, I just want to get out, you know, and not yeah. die, you know? And it was kind of cool to have somebody that you respect and no charges. Yeah. And just saying like, dude, we're Don't getting hammered. We're getting hammered. I haven't gotten this worked all winter. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, 
I'm not freaking out. This is it was pretty intense, but yeah, a lot of good memorable sessions over there. And now I go over there and I'm like, yeah, I just I don't really have the drive. I don't need to yeah. prove myself. I don't really care. I'm looking for the fun like waves. Yeah. But I'm looking at guys now where they're like my age and they're still charging hard and yeah. like wanting it. And I'm like, I don't know. That's just not yeah. where I'm at anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how, like you said, pro surfing, even like, you know, we interviewed Chad Wells, um, Quicksilver TM, right? Mm. And he was saying, you know, if you're staying, if you ride for Quicksilver mm. and you're at the Quicksilver house yeah. and you're not paddling out, you're off the team. Really? Yeah. Yeah, right. It was like that when when I was a kid too. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's pretty heavy. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. So where else? Uh, where? I'm where sure Indo, Fiji, all those spots are right close to you guys. Yeah, I um I've been in Fiji once. I um I worked for I was a designer at Globe for a while, and um Globe sponsored the Fiji contest yeah. for a couple of years, and I was lucky enough to go over there for the how, contest. How old were you? How did you get into design? Oh, um, I got into design. So, um, growing up in like a, a pretty uh, hippie environment, clothes were, were definitely not uh, an important aspect of life. Yeah. Um, so my, my dad grew up in this like pretty um, remote, I guess, uh, hippie commune. I, I'm gonna say it for lack of a better word in yeah. far north Queensland for 20 years of his life. Um, and he in that place like literally everyone was naked and like it was a very kind of free and open um, Damn. yeah it was crazy and i only actually for like 20 years 20 Wait, years where's this spot i want to it's, it's 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 um so no one lives there anymore it's, it's a little place called cedar bay which is just past cooktown um in far north queensland there's no waves there it's inside the great barrier reef and um so he he, he grew up in like a, a a pretty intense time in sydney and surfing where there's a lot of people dying of drugs and going to jail yeah and, he wanted to escape that, so he um, he went on a little journey up, up the east coast of Australia, which is like one of the most incredible journeys to take, especially back then when there was no one around, like surfing in Gowrie or Burley Point with no one out. And um, he eventually found himself up in far north Queensland doing some like random work stuff. And then um, he'd heard about this like little beach called Cedar Bay, which was like a two-day walk, like literally around rock, rocky headlands into this little idyllic beach. And he, um, so he walked in there and then ended up staying for 20 years. Wow. And, um, and I've got some beautiful photos of the location. Of, so like, how did he know of it? Did somebody tell he him just, about it? Or? He just heard about it through some other kind of like people that were living alternative lifestyles up there as well. Um, you want to so, get off the grid? This is where you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and he, he literally walked? Walked in. Two days? Two day two. walk into this place um, from the, the closest town. It's called um, Cooktown. So he walked in and yeah, ended up staying there for 20 years. And recently, I, I asked him, I was like, hey, Dad, what, like, why were you naked in there? Like, I, I, like, I, I want to understand more about like, who you were back when you were like, my age, or, or he's a lot younger. Um, and he was like, well, it wasn't because I wanted to. It was just that like we were living in the bush, and it would be raining and hot, and the clothes would just fall apart. And so we'd be naked for a year, and then someone would come in, um, and leave some clothes, wear clothes again for a while, and then that'd fall apart and rot off, and then... Holy smokes. So it was just, like, so out of necessity. housing? Like, what the, kind he, of... He built this, like, incredible, like, geodesic dome out of lawyer cane, which is, like, pretty... It's, like, a strong kind of cane that was growing up there in the bush. Almost like a bamboo or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So 
he built that and there was other like little structures in in it was called um uh center garden i think they called it but um there's a bunch of little structures where at, i think at the height there's maybe like 20 people living in this kind of little beach environment wow. and then some um yeah so they were there for a long time and then and they just lived off the just land just off the land yeah fishing they, and hunting or whatever they, they were all vegans or vegetarians up there oh. so there's no no meat eating it was just like all vegetables living off the land eating coconuts so it was like beautiful idyllic coconut lined beach so it'd make like everything out of coconut husk and stuff like that and um and then they ended up uh getting 20 years 20 years that. up there yeah yeah <laughs> wow yeah it was pretty pretty insane and then so um, him and my mom broke up went whilst they were in there and then oh so she went time. she was there with him yeah okay. so like at different times like there'd be different people coming through and people would just end up staying for, for years or months or days um, and my mom ended up staying for like four years and they um, were together and had me um, and my, my brother is a, a half brother and, and similar thing happened my dad had another son with another woman um five years earlier so it was uh it was pretty free free love up there i guess yeah um so sounds, anyway yeah so sounds like, epic yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a pretty pretty interesting um place i can't remember any of it because i left when i was four so it's very so you actually were born yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so was my brother as well so wow he, he remembers it a lot more than me because he was I think he was nine when when we left so he's got like proper vivid memories of, of growing up in this like world whereas i see a photo Rami, you just became the most interesting person i've ever met in my life <laughs> <laughs> no it, it's a funny story like now everything makes sense no, <laughs> yeah yeah totally totally um uh but yeah so my brother has really vivid memories i have no memory but yeah. i've got all these amazing photos of, of like our family and, and the lifestyle up there and it just it feels like a, a movie like yeah there's nothing I, I just can't imagine that being a part of my life but i can i can relate to it because how my dad and mum lived when they first moved to byron it was in a similar more restrained kind of way that you need to kind of adapt your life to society like normal society yeah um and this was in like the late 80s um and byron was like very uh, yeah we moved to byron byron was a very hippie kind of orientated town at that time, um, crossed with like very blue collar kind of working class people as well. There's like this very kind of, there's tension between those two kind of castes of Hippies people. Hippies and blue collar. Yeah, like yeah. Um, like laborers, like whether it's like fishermen or whatever it is, yeah. like builders and whatnot. Um, and so we moved to Byron, and then yeah, so clothes just weren't were never this like big part of my life, and and um, I guess I re- rebelled against that, I guess, and was like. It, clothing became something that meant a lot to me um, and I was, I was really interested in like I can remember um, the I think it was my fifth birthday I like all I wanted was a suit for my birthday I was a like suit? yeah begging my dad like for a, a suit. wedding suit like yeah a dress yeah, suit. yeah yeah like a proper suit yeah um, and uh, like all black black tie white shirt just like really slick and so you clean. had style at an early age well, I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, if you call that style, then maybe. Or just I was stupid. I should have been asking for a T-shirt and a pair of boardies and getting the stuff or something, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, I can remember badgering my dad, like, nonstop for it. And he finally got it for me. And I literally didn't take it off for, like, weeks. And all I'd want to wear. So um, clothes to me was just, like, something that were really important because it, it let me get away from 
I guess, um, an embarrassment in, in my, like, my past, I guess. So um, that kind of got me into wanting to design clothing. And so I worked in a couple of um, surf shops and clothing stores in Byron before, um, before I went and studied. What, what shops were they? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, there was um, Bay Action, which is owned by the Timpleys, with Gary Timpley, who was a pro surfer back in like the, the 80s and yeah, like early 80s. Timperley? Yeah, Timpley, okay. Gary Timpley. Um, and uh, they owned, his father owned um, a service station in the middle of town where the main roundabout is. And then when he passed away, they turned it into a surf shop. And then oh, wow. they end up owning a few surf shops in Byron. And so I worked in the corner on Bay Action and also Escape, which is like across the road. Can I ask you what your parents did when they moved to Byron? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So my mom, um, my mom got into nursing. So she, she, I think she, she was studying to be a nurse before she went up to Cedar Bay. So she returned to doing that. And then um, my dad uh, just kind of continued on what he was doing in Cedar Bay. He became like a landscape kind of architect and... He's, um, my dad's never driven a car in his life, never, never had a license. Like wow. he, he literally, he's, he's, um, he lives in Boulangerie in Byron Bay, which is like, uh, back when he moved there was, um, just beach shacks on the beach. Now it's one of the most expensive real estate places in Byron or even in Australia. And there's like $20 million mansions there. And it's insane. And my dad has over, over the years become like, as these properties are getting built, uh, bought out by these billionaires and millionaires, he becomes friends with them, realizes that he's really good at gardening and landscaping. And so he only works in his street. So he walks like, his house is on the beach. So he walks down the beach, we'll walk up the beach a little bit, walk up into the house that he's working on, do landscaping for that place, then walk back down, go into the next house. And he does like, yeah, all the, all the best kind of properties in that street he works on. And he's just created this little, I guess, microcosmos for himself where he's, he's in total bliss every day of his life. Yeah, it's so, awesome. Yeah. I, again, I, following your passion, you know, if that's, yeah, you know. If, if you follow Rama, he, he posts, you've posted um, pictures of, of where your dad lives. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, and, yeah. And when I look at it, I'm like, holy crap, like, that's heaven. It is, it is. It's, it's a it's slice insane. of heaven. Yeah. So from where... Those photos are there's other palatial mansions and yeah on either, either that's house. crazy. So yeah. he built himself a house there. Yep. Way before the market yep. took on, right? Yep. And now he he he's a landscaper for all the rich people that around him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's um it's pretty sane. So he he actually doesn't own the property that he lives on. He's um he lives there rent free for this. Uh, his lady on it. it's a really it's quite a large bit, bit of property there's two kind of dwellings on it and him and his wife uh, my dad and his wife you live in um one of the dwellings and kind of uh look after that property for her and she's never there so it's like their own place um rent free because he he looks after the place so he's um he's been able to live in like a a very blissful stress-free existence because he's um he he's he's put himself in situations that allow that to happen yeah and he doesn't have the the usual trappings of, yeah. of what I guess our lives would be like yeah. credit cards and, and debt and businesses and um, a lot of just the, the strings that get attached around you as you get older. Do you, do you find that like inspirational or bizarre? I mean, it's a little both. It's like, bizarre. It's bizarre. It's, it's insane. Yeah. It's insanely bizarre. But there's it's, you know it's not abnormal. There's a lot cool. of people that that have have done you know created stuff like that. But yeah, you're off. 
the grid, you're off, you know, you're... Very off the grid, very off the grid. And for, for me, who is, I, I feel unfortunately very on the grid, yeah. it's, um, it's, it's very unique. Like, I go home three or four times a year and I, and I stay at my dad's place and um, it makes me second guess what I'm doing quite a lot and go, wow, am, am I You're doing the right You're trying too hard. Thing? Yeah, or, or just making possibly the wrong decisions I don't, I don't know or maybe it's the right decisions depends yeah, what you want yeah. in life and like I, I love where I am at and I, I've loved all the experiences I've had through working and, and my lifestyle but you go back and you go okay if you if you didn't know any of that existed maybe this is the right way to live yeah maybe yeah. it is it's a great way to kind of just be somewhat ignorant to everything that's going around you yeah. and, and work on what is in your direct vicinity and just love that yeah and, well, that's, congratulations to your dad, dude. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, does he still surf or he um he hurt his back um going on a horse ride with my brother and I when we were younger. Um, we must have been like I don't know, fifteen or something. And he he surfed a couple times with my brother and I, but um he he stays out of the water most of the time, which is so sad because he, he loves it and lives right on the right ocean. Right on the beach, yeah. But um just doesn't get out there that often. Yeah which is a bummer for me because I, I couldn't think of anything better than going for a surf with my, my dad and my yeah, brother. that's like, cool. That would be like heaven for me, I think. So, yeah. Nice. So you worked at the, the surf, surf shop. shops yeah. and yeah. then... And then um, after that, uh, Tim Cochran, who's my business, one of my business partners in banks, um, we went around the world together for, for like almost eight months um, and we went to like Indonesia um, for a couple months and then went to Japan... And then um, from Japan to London, London to Paris, and then we got a hire car in Paris, and neither of us knew how to drive a manual. And if you've ever hired a car in Europe, they're all manuals. Yeah. And, and they're on the other side of the road, which is like you guys in America are. Yeah. It was crazy. So we were like hopping around the streets of Paris trying to figure <laughs> out how to drive this manual. And we end up, we were having to drive from, um, from Paris to the south of France, there for for like a month, and then uh, through uh, Spain and Portugal down to Irasira, and yeah. um, you, you would have been to Irasira yeah, a bunch of times. For sure. Um, and my brother was in Irasira judging the QS down there, so we we're, were going down to see him. And then we went to Lisbon, which is like the most insane city ever. Like food, nightlife, just so fun. And I was how, eighteen. How old were you? I was uh, eighteen. Eighteen. Yeah. Did yeah. you guys like? How, work a ton and, and save, come money. Up with, save money and you, you know what my, my my brother lent me the money for the trip wow yeah so he um tim had he, tim was three years older than me so he'd been working out of school for like three years and saved up the cash and um i'd just finished school and i really wanted to go on this trip and i just didn't have the money my parents we're like, talking high school right yeah yeah, yeah yeah high school so year 12 um, and uh, my brother had been, it was judging for the world tour and had this pretty good job at the time making US dollars, which was like, like a lot of money for an Australian back, at, back then. Um, so he had some cash and he was, uh, he was um, nice enough to lend me some, yeah. ca- some money so I could. Uh, brotherly love right there. Yeah, yeah. He, he's, he's honestly the, one of the, oh, he is the best person I've ever met in my life. What, what was the, like, I mean, you guys were going to these places to, to see the culture or to surf or kind of both like just mainly surfing yeah yeah okay. we we're mainly surfing we we're, we we're on definitely like a a world surf trip okay good um not you're, you're lucky not very many people in this world get to do that well australians do it a lot but yeah yeah 
Yeah, it was, it was great, and then we we ended up um, ending the trip in in South Africa in Jeffreys Bay, which was um, which was like a dream come true. Like growing up on the the north coast of New South Wales in Australia, that you have all these amazing right hand point breaks, and it's what we all grow up surfing. So yeah. we're very accustomed to that kind of a wave, which is so different from surfing out here yeah, right. in Newport. Um, so to surf one of the most famous right hand point breaks in the world that you'd grown up seeing, like. Tom Curran and stuff surfing it was just yeah a dream come true it was so 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 special did you get it good too we got it okay not, not definitely not as good as I'm sure it gets but we got it good enough to experience what J-Bay can, can be yeah yeah it was um it was a beautiful experience it was cool yeah it's kind of got that little Byron Bay-esque there too totally not obviously as many surfing wave options yeah not, yeah. As, not as probably cultural but still like a little hippie yeah for us it was super cultural though because it's like well yeah yeah, I guess there's a lot of stuff going on in South Africa especially back then that we were very unaware of yeah which was um, pretty pretty shocking yeah apartheid and all that yeah there was was just totally and just just the racial divide was so so um so obvious to yeah, the, to the economic to the divide eye. more so than anything like yeah racial is bad but like you're either rich or you're dirt poor totally like there's a, yeah it's crazy yeah so that that was like wild to me i've I'd never seen anything like that so it was um you're like i'd like to have these five people working for me at my house you know <laughs> like doing everything like it's it, crazy the way they live there yeah it's bizarre and <clears throat> just um there's a definite type of person that is doing all the work yeah. um, which to me kind of doesn't make sense and really didn't make sense back then yeah. not had ne- because I w- had never experienced it yeah. um, so it was uh, it was a really eye-opening experience but on the surf side it was amazing it was, yeah. it was so cool that's a great experience right there yeah. you learn so much you know traveling you learn so much about the world and about yourself and you know you get to appreciate um, what you have for, for sure, sure right? yeah. yeah puts things in perspective and, and, and prioritizes your you know your needs and wants it pretty pretty realistically yeah yeah definitely <laughs> definitely so after that trip you came home and you <laughs> we came home um, and then we were uh, Tim and I both worked for a little while I stayed in Byron for a little bit longer Tim went and studied down in Melbourne um, and then uh, studied design down there and then uh, once he'd finished he went to Rip Curl um, to to be a designer there um, and then I was like oh, I, I, I want to get into design this is definitely what I want to do and I looked up to Tim a lot um, through like my younger days surfing and just as a as a great person in my life he, he's quite influential in a lot of ways um, and I, I, I kind of followed that his path and went down to Melbourne studied design and then my first job was at Rip Curl as well designing um, I was only there for maybe like 12 months and um, I got a I got a really good opportunity to go and work for Globe to um, kind of be a part of like uh, starting off the, the clothing side of their business because at the time they were mainly focusing on footwear mm-hmm. um, and so I got kind of thrown into the into the mix there and, and that was um, an incredible experience like the Peter and Stephen Hill who are the brothers who founded Globe yeah. um, also have a, like a really big distribution business in Australia they 
uh, they were pro skaters when they were younger, so they had like all the skate brands coming yeah. to Australia. Basically, they distributed they them had, all. They had Stussy too, right? They have Stussy again now. So okay. they had Stussy from from day one, and then they lost it for a little while, and then they got it back now. Yeah. Um, and they had like uh, Fresh Drive for a while. Yeah. They had like Paul Frank, Mossimo. They had. So they had their hands in pretty much huge stuff, like yeah, the, great brands and yeah, great business savvy strategy totally so, so yeah. for like rip curl and, and like globe did you guys have ends already like did you know people that worked there that kind of gave you like your your yeah. job or did you tim probably helped you out yeah right? so tim tim helped me get um my job at rip curl but like to be honest i think just um growing up and being a surfer yeah. opened up those doors so much because yeah. i think at that time there wasn't that many people designing for those brands that were actually surfers that had yeah. like lived and breathed that culture um and tim and i both had and i, I think it, it it gave us like a heads up on, on a lot of people yeah. that were probably way better than us at, at yeah. what we do like i don't think we're, we're that great at designing yeah. but but i bet even your experience on like at this time you went on this world prior to you went on this world trip just to yeah. go surf and experience life but in hindsight you did, probably didn't realize that was going to be a big part of you know what you could offer yeah. and, and your per, you know perception on what you know For what sure. you can design and, and yeah. you know becomes part of your resume almost yeah yeah, yeah. It, For sure. it's funny when you were saying all that it's like i think you know we as surfers right we want to deal with people we like Right? Definitely, yeah, and and sure. that's just business, really. Yeah, in, in business, you want to deal with people you like. Yeah, and if you are in the surf industry, right, or you own a shop or whatever, mm. if the guy or girl surfs, you're gonna lean towards that more. Yeah, even yeah, though yeah, if they're, yeah. you know what I mean, like yeah. it just kind of the way it's been, you yeah. know, which is really cool. Because it keeps that authenticity, yeah. You know, and what yeah. I think our our culture and our lifestyle is based around authenticity, yeah. And sure. so the cool dudes that can surf or girls that can surf, they belong, yeah. right? And your brand, you know, whatever your brand is, if you have authenticity, mm. you succeed, yeah. Right. So yeah. definitely, definitely. So, so yeah. globe, yeah, globe, globe was globe wasn't like wildly amazing for me like I, I definitely didn't deserve the the um they freedom were killing and, it were they located in melbourne too so or you yeah had to re- relocate they had a uh, the head office is in port melbourne at the time okay. and it was this huge mothership it was like massive it had this crazy big warehouse had this big skate park and at the time they it was like the height of their business they just went ipo so they were a publicly listed company worth a lot of money so they were just like putting all this cash into their their office spaces and what they were doing um events and everything and so they had this huge big mothership up there and then um i was lucky enough that the clothing kind of part of the business was getting started down in in torquay which is across the road from my office at rip curl so i literally like walked out of rip curl across the road straight into (laughs) my my tiny little office it was like a nice did they approach you or it was, um, yeah, so the, they approached me through a friend of mine that was designing Rip Curl as well, and that, that, that person kind of um, put my name forward and it all, all kind of fell into place. Um, and so, yeah, I started at Globe, and it was, it was an amazing kind of opportunity, like going from just 
looking after real, like with when you're in a big surf company and you're a designer you're usually only working like one really specific thing one category and you don't really venture outside of that and you no one wants you to either yeah, yeah. like your specialties board shorts or your specialties yeah. t-shirts or yeah. accessories like exactly yeah. so then going to globe it was like doing the whole range which was kind of daunting at the time because i'd only been in the workplace for 12 months basically yeah wow. did so, they hire you to be the head designer or what it, it was, was it was desi- designer there was like it wasn't a team it was just like myself one other guy and we were designing the whole range together wow how lucky is that yeah it was insane what was their aspirations as like a globe like clothing brand did they say hey we want to be in all these categories they, they gave you a line plan of where to basically it was just open they were like yeah. okay you design a range and there wasn't there wasn't too much like direction or yeah. like guidance it was like you guys are in this little satellite office you develop this clothing line and it was kind of surreal because we had this like huge like multi-million dollar business this huge office up in melbourne but we were just like stuck in this tiny little thing down in torquay because my boss um who was kind of managing that that structure was based down in torquay and he didn't want to move to melbourne so um reese the other designer and i were just in there together doing the line and we're getting to like travel around the world go shopping trips and go to china it was like my first trip to china to kind of go to see factories and it was this really bizarre like quick chuck straight into it kind of lifestyle and what was like their vision was it like hey we want to be more skate because that's kind of like their backbone or they want to get into surf like they they wanted to be more surf it was definitely more surf because Um, it was kind of based around the team right yeah like uh, it was like hockey well this this was before Dion so this was probably um, yeah Hobgoods were a part of the team it was like hockey Hockey. Taj um Hub Goods, it was um, Nathan all had, Webster. They had they all had, yeah, they all had clothing sponsors, right? Yeah, except the Hub Goods. And yeah. so they came on board. Like when we started the clothing, the Hub Goods came on board and rode uh, like head to toe, basically. Um, and Nathan Webster was part of the team. Oh, yeah, as well. that's right. Noodles. Yeah, Noodles. He's a legend. I love that guy. Um, so, yeah, it was, um, it was it was fantastic kind of business cool. to work for. And I was a part of that business for four, four and a half years. And after. I think after 12 months of being at Globe um, in the Torquay office, I got um, approached by Quicksilver to kind of come and do some design work for them. And it was, I thought it was an amazing opportunity. I was like, okay, well, this is great. I can step Full up. Full-time or freelance? Full-time. Oh, okay. Yeah. So 12, you only spent a year at, at Globe? At Globe. But, okay. So Quicksilver offered me this job and I was about to take it and Globe was like, hey, we know you want to move back to Byron at some time and be close to the family. What if... You can move to our office up in Mel, up in the Gold Coast. Sorry, guys. Hold Sorry. It. Hold it. <laughs> um, okay. So, yeah, they were like, hey, we really want you to stay. Like, what if you can move up and work out of our office up on the Gold Coast? Because Globe at the time had a few different, like, kind of satellite uh, offices in Australia. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's a dream come true. I can move back to, to the Gold Coast and or not back to the Gold Coast, but move to the Gold Coast. I'll be close to Byron. It's only, like, an hour north of home. And so I was like, yeah, I'll stay. Because Quicksilver was uh, at a like Narrabeen area, right? No, 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 they were in Torquay as well. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Rib Curl and Quicksilver started in Torquay. That's, yeah. that's where both of their kind of head offices were. Okay. For, Rib Curl still is, Quicksilver yeah. isn't. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, the job with Quicksilver would have been, been in Torquay. Okay. So, Gold Coast, here I come. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm <laughs> done. Let's move. I'm out of here. And then... Um, 
I, once I got to the Gold Coast, I was um, I was on the in the Gold Coast for one week, and then the second week I'd have to go back to Melbourne and work out of the the headquarters in, in Port Melbourne. So every second week I was in Melbourne for three days working from that office. So it was a lot of traveling, plus overseas for like research trips and China. And um, after about I think like a year and a half or maybe two years of doing that, it was like super intense. Um, I was like, this travel schedule is just too much. I need to move back to Melbourne. So I moved back to Melbourne. And at that time, um, the it was the global financial crisis kind of time. 2009. Yeah, like things were getting cut. The, we, Global lost their office, which was this huge mothership, went into this really small little office in St Kilda. And um, so it, it was like a big transition, like going yeah. from like being able to do so much and have so much freedom to like, back to kind of reality way things probably should have been for a long time um and then i lasted there for like a year longer so it was all up it was about four four and a half years and um i moved to sydney after that because i just needed to get away from melbourne because i wasn't surfing and i was just away from the coast and, and just pretty over it in general so i moved to bondi in sydney um which uh ha- was incredible that time of, uh, of Bondi that was like um Insight was kind of all the design kind of people from Insight and Subi were all around there so it was this really crazy kind of creative hub of of Sydney and Australian kind of fashion at the time and um so I was just I was in that's kind of like the birth of Australian hipster 100 percent. yeah right? yeah Bondi is like where where it all it's where started. the city meets the beach right? yeah I mean that's kind of like you know, our Venice. Like you yep, might have been the architect of uh, Australian uh, hipster. No, don't, don't even go there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't He's all black. Yeah. <laughs> uh, dude, no, it's all navy. It's all navy. Hey, is that I don't navy? know, bro. That's black <laughs> to me. Yeah, it looks pretty dark, bro. That's navy. Yeah. Bro, I've, got the, I've got the Pantone color on my right, house. You need to change the lighting in here. Because <laughs> uh, you remember that. Like when, yeah. when Insight came over yeah. and the first kind of globe um, uh, look. Yeah, it's yeah, coming yeah. around. You're like yeah. inside. What the heck is Gordon. that? Like, what's the you know? <clears throat> yeah, like the yeah, short definitely. short and yeah. then the cut off uh, down. Yeah, and, yeah, definitely. Fucking um, hipster. Uh, <laughs> oh. yeah. So this is. Can we end this now? Can I? Can I leave? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, no. So yeah, I was in Bondi and I had planned on just taking some time off because I'd gone for like I'd been working um, nonstop for a little bit and I was like, oh, I, I just need to some time to regroup because it was kind of pretty heavy what happened within globe at that time with yeah. stuff um, changing so much and um i was in sydney and i got hit up by a recruiting agency literally the first week i was there for a job at o'neill which did you was, put out any feelers or no you're just no, word of mouth yeah just word of mouth got to a recruiter she hit me up about a job going out at o'neill and i was like oh that's so weird like i used to be involved with o'neill when i was a kid and um going to work with them could be interesting yeah i didn't i at the time I thought the brand wasn't um, in, in the Australian market wasn't really uh, super relevant for what was happening within the surf um, and just styling was, for Australia is really yeah, American looking super American and yeah. and um, it was because the O'Neill brand got bought and bought by a big Dutch company so it was, it was being run by this Dutch business as well so it was um, it was pretty kind of just it wasn't relevant to what, what I thought was happening. Yeah. And, and I, I went into this meeting with um, with Michael Heath, who was the general manager of the Australian business at the time. And um, 
and I had this really great meeting with him. He was really interesting and, and we got along really well. And I was like, oh, maybe this is something I can be involved with. And um, so I took the job and they, they gave me a huge amount of freedom to kind of, um, to do a lot of things that I thought were in that could help the brand be more relevant to the marketplace. Yeah. Um, well, that's got probably the big part of why you went over there. If you, you know, you're not in this cookie cutter kind of scenario, yeah. a little bit more freedom. Yeah. So it was, um, I, I loved my time there. We, we got to do a lot of great things and I got to go up to Santa Cruz a couple of times and look through like all the archival ad- adverts they used to do. And to me, that was amazing. Like um, Jack O'Neill is such an incredible person. Pioneer. Yeah, and to meet his family that is still involved with it, and and to see where that brand came from, like gave me so much inspiration. And at the time, uh, O'Neill wasn't really using much of that heritage stuff, um, and I thought it was like so important to bring back because I, I, I saw that 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 vintage look and feel was becoming more um, more sought after within the, the youth kind of market within the Australian business. So I tried to bring in a bunch of that influences and um, a, lot, a lot of it was successful and, and it helped the brand kind of move on from the, I guess, um, the period that it was going through, which was very US centric, which is great for the US, but just wasn't relevant for the, for yeah. the, the Australian marketplace. Um, and uh, so yeah, I was there for, gosh, like, I think, yeah, another four years. Um, and then after that, I left to work for a, a really small business, which was um, kind of strange, but worked for like three kind of pretty large businesses, yeah. cor- very corporate kind of structures. Rip Curl, Rip Curl, Globe. Globe, then O'Neill. And then um, I went and worked for a, a really small business out of Australia called the Critical Slides Society, which is um, a small- Super hipster. Super hipster, <laughs> my gosh. <laughs> I really like that brand too. But yeah. it, you know, right? I mean, yeah, it is. It was like um, it was very twin fin, single fin, log riding, yeah. but yeah. the Australian version of it. Like, yeah. not not really bird. Very well. niche, but yeah, like yeah. very unique Little, and different. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah, really colorful. Yeah. Lots of um, quirky prints. Really fun and playful. And um, honestly, I I I'm not picking on you. I kind of think that you. The, that hipster movement improved the look of Everything. brands. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh, it depends what you want to look like. I yeah. guess it's like you can, it's, some people would say the exact opposite and go, "Why? Why are all these surf brands not looking like surf brands now?" Yeah. So it depends, like how how you want to see it. And and it, I think for, for here's me, something funny to say, but like it feels like the big brands just became jock brands, right? A little bit more mainstream kind of. Yeah, I mean, kind of. I mean, it's There's always been kind of like that, but, but, it, but it's out of necessity, though. Like, I, I think um, a lot of the a lot of the brand, like Quicksilver, Billabong, Rib Curl, Volcom, you can go. Like for me personally, I, I'm sure I could go into their lines and actually look at their collections and go, "Oh my god, there's some of the best product I've ever seen here." And because they've got amazing designers working for them yeah. and incredible um, salespeople and great marketing people. But they're they're dictated to by their their, their stream of stores that they're selling yeah, to distribution channels yeah, and what exactly. their needs are and the customer base. I mean, once you get that big, you're you're kind of designing. You know, it gets watered down. Totally. You know, totally. When you're niche and smaller. You're a little bit more unique. You're not going after that mass. Exactly. You're going after a specific look. Yeah, but the, the like um, all those companies do incredible product if, yeah. if you actually dive in, which are. 
like um, I, I, I like to see that kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, stuff um, coming out of Ruka these days is incredible. How's <laughs> <laughs> that plug? I'm just kidding. So, so go back to Critical Slide. Um, yeah, yeah. That's so a cool brand. That's really, really cool. I like the name. I like what they did. It's yeah. cool. Yeah, it was, it was really good. And I, I was Were you there at the ground floor then. So it was just the three founders, um, Jim Mitchell, Susie Mitchell, his, his wife, and then Sam Coombs. Um, so they were three business partners, and they started, and I was uh, lucky enough to be their first employee, which was, um, which was really cool. And up until that time, Sam was designing the product and doing a really good job, but the business was kind of growing, expanding, they had distribution in, in Japan and here in the US and some in Europe as well. Um, and they just needed someone that, that had a design background. Yeah. So Sam and I were going back and forward literally for about 12 months. And um, I was in India at the time on a work trip in my, in my hotel room. And he sent me this like really pissed off email going, hey man, I'm so sick and tired of like going, going back and forward with you on this. Like I've, I've given you this deal that is great. Like let's just make this happen. And I was sitting there in India just going, shit i've been doing kind of the same thing for a long time i've been working for these bigger brands and it's been great and i've had incredible opportunities but maybe it's time to take a risk yeah and so i just emailed him back going yep and like i i scanned um i took a photo or something of my my signature and like put it onto the contract and sent it emailed it off to him and and then when i got back i I resigned and spent another month at o'neill and then i'm straight into critical slide and it was um massive shock to the system going from like having uh all the resources yeah, and all, all the like resources yeah so there's so much like corporate credit cards and being able to like just book trips when you need to and just do things that are necessary yeah. or you think that are necessary at the time um to like really being pulled back and uh but also having so much input on everything whether it's the accounts that you're going into marketing campaigns um product that you're doing like it was it was really all-encompassing so i um I, I grew to love it like over a pretty short period of time. I was like, oh wow, this is fantastic. Like I get to we really be involved. Yeah, oh yeah, more control and I think... Um, but also like getting back to the nitty gritty and being resourceful, right? Yep, like, totally. Gotta, yeah, totally. Shit, we don't have the budget to do that, yeah. but you know, we want to do this. Yeah. So, and, yeah. And just being able to see like the, as a designer, you, you usually don't have complete creative control from start to finish from like design process all the way to where what store it's going to be in and that allowed me to kind of have the the full vision of of everything which I think has helped me with banks and get to where I am like I think it's that that period of my career was the one of the most influential today I think was um, was really cool and we um I was there for yeah three and a half years I think and um at a certain stage, I was going. We we're doing a lot of production in in Indonesia, and then I was end up going over there. I was supposed to be there for a week, and then I ended up being there for a couple of months. And um, I was staying in Changu, which is great. Yeah, those factories are taking a long time. There's a new swelling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the factory's totally. taking a long time for these samples, but um, yeah, you know, I'm I'm almost there, you guys. <laughs> yeah, Sam, I'm sorry, but I'm almost there. I just need another month. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I need I need another year. Actually, let's make it two. Can we just uh, do a satellite office here? Oh, that's what happened. Ah! So I, I was Jeez. over there. <laughs> and I said to Sam, and this is like all honesty, and it, it sounds like... You want to like save us some money and flying back and forth. Exactly. I could just set up yeah. a hub here. Yeah. So How much cheaper is it too? To so live much cheaper. So much cheaper. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I, hit, your taste. I hit Sam and Jim up and I was like, hey, 
I reckon I should just stay over here and live in Bali. It'll be easy. I'm right down the street from the factory. I can fly to China in six hours instead of 12. Like it, it all makes sense to me. Let's do it. And they were like, yep, that sounds fine. Oh my God. And so Good for I, you. Yeah. So I got to live in Bali for a couple of years, which was um, just like such an incredible time, yeah. like living in Chenggu and being able to go surf, like great waves every day of the year basically and um but and also learn so much about manufacturing which yeah, was like, really yeah like you have to spend a lot of time in the factories and literally on on the factory floor like on sewing machines or going to the screen printer and like pulling screens with the workers and and really learning about how stuff gets manufactured yeah and and also like i think a lot of the design process happens on the factory floor if you want to like make improvements because you might draw something on a bit of paper or a computer but when it's implemented into like a fabric yeah it stuff changes a lot yeah so it was great to really understand how all that comes together from from every angle so it was um an amazing experience well that and fashion you know is such on a on a you know a really quick dial meaning it changes seasons change you need to get your designs into the factory and out of the factory and onto the floor of the store so being hands-on probably helps speed up that process too for sure yeah yeah it was really good and you could just like usually you're in australia or the u.s and you're emailing a factory going hey we need this product but yeah being there it's just like hey you need to get this done yeah you gotta wait two weeks for the sample to show up or a week and then you look at it and you know it's just a lot of back and forth yeah and i'd bring like a little like um (laughs) <laughs> like a fruit basket sometimes to the factory manager going hey I need this by next week yeah. and that they'd push it through which is which was really nice to just um, grow some like really beautiful relationships with these factories yeah. and and get stuff done that that no other kind of brand were being able to do at the time out of out of Indonesia so dude wow. you just set yourself up there man yeah yeah I set, set myself up for failure though because I came back to Australia and I'm like what am I doing back here life is so much better in Indonesia yeah because you, you're living over there for yeah cheap as you were saying and um it's paradise it's paradise yeah it was amazing food waves are people. perfect it's warm yeah the yeah. culture's amazing yeah yep. too no, many Australians there though that's the only problem yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah it was uh it was a great time but then our, the business was growing uh pretty well at the time and the me being um over in indonesia and then the rest of the office being in australia and me being kind of um in charge like i was creative director at the time so i was in charge of like all the marketing and then also all the design stuff and there be started to be issues to kind of grow as the business grew and there was more employees back back in Australia so um, they didn't like having you with so much control or it wasn't that I think it was just, just communication um, and yeah, being communication. in front of people you can't sit at the round table and hash yeah. out like initiatives and totally and if, if like the, to be honest like people sitting in Sydney in an office thinking that someone's over over in Bali having a great time like at some stage there, be, there grows some not anger, but just some distaste with yeah. other employees. Envy, yeah, animosity. a little bit of animosity, yeah. envy, yeah. which sucks because if if you're doing your thing, and yeah, things are growing. It's like, well, hey, yeah, what's the problem? Like, yeah, totally. But it, I think it's, but I, it I get it. Hard. It happens. Yeah. Right? So um, and then so in in even in the Sydney office, uh, Jim and Sue's were up in um, Booker Bay, which is on the central coast, and then we had an office in Sydney. So I, I said to him, I was like, hey, like the business is growing. We're, we're putting some great product out there. We're in some awesome stores globally. Like 
let's actually get ahead of us. We're all under the same roof. And if we can do that, I'll move back from, from Indonesia and I'll, I'll be in that office and we can all work together and really build the brand. And so they, they agreed to that. So I came back and- Did um, they ever give you a piece? No. I had a really small percentage, like okay. really, really small. And um, when, when I left, uh, I, that got sold, well, I sold that back to them, which, um, which was great. Like it, it wasn't a lot, but it was, I appreciated it a yeah. lot because it meant a lot to me to, to spend that many, a few years of my life building a brand with those guys. And um, apart from, from that, I was appreciative of just having the opportunity. Yeah, um, yeah. When you're invested and in, in, yeah, it's, it's more of like, hey, you're important, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. you're not going to make it, you know, probably a gazillion, who knows, but yeah. you know, like it just gives you that extra little bit. You know what? These guys it's are pride of ownership yeah. too, it's, For sure. right? Like, For it sure. makes you work harder because you got a piece of the pie. Yeah. You want to succeed. Definitely. Definitely. Um, and I think as a, as a designer, I think you, you have that within a business without having a piece of it as yeah. well, because um, when you're designing product for a brand and it, it's a it's a part of you walking down the street sure. it's like you you want to be proud of what you're doing yeah. so for me anyway like I've always um, all the brands I've worked for whether they're really small or quite big you I've, wore it like you're yeah, proud yeah. Yeah. yeah like I was like oh this is this is a part of me and, I, and I, that's how I do my best work I, I don't know how to really separate it very much which yeah. could be a good or bad thing depending on how you kind of view it but it makes it more rewarding when yep. you believe in what you're doing completely right and, and it, it makes, rubs, rubs off on the people around you as yeah, well i think so yeah. um so yeah we and then critical side and i um departed ways when um banks started basically so banks came about like tim who i'd spoken about earlier we'd um always wanted to do something from such an early age and we both were creatively driven um, and was he, he at sorry to interrupt? Was he still at Rip Curl for that entire time? No, or did he... he he was at Hurley. Okay, yeah. So, so he, he was pretty high up in Hurley at the time, making like really good money, and he, he was having a great life. Um, and I came to him and uh, spoke to him about the opportunity to start a brand. And um, the brand was going to be with Moto Noda, who's our CFO and one of the co-founders that works out of this office with me. How did you meet these guys? Those um, guys? Through Critical Slides. So okay. Moto and Masa, who my two Japanese partners, were have a distribution business in Japan called Jamgul Jam. Um, it's a really hard name to say. But, um, <laughs> say it again? Jamgul Jam. It's very hard. J-A-M-G-L-E-J-A-M. It's, um, it's, a, it's a tongue twister. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, we, we'd become really close, and, and especially Masa and I had worked together. Um, I'd go to Japan a lot for Critical Slide, and we had a, had a really good rapport and had some good nights out singing karaoke and drinking sake. What's your go-to song? Uh, I don't sing. Masa sings. I just, I just sit back and drink, usually. Isn't it <laughs> so, funny how great they sing karaoke? Oh, my God. It, they, like, they sing... It's a culture... It's a subculture there that nobody... I mean... You I think, think of Japan. We know because we've been there. Yeah. It is incredible how popular. Do you know uh, uh, surf prescriptions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Surfboards, dock surfboards. Yeah. So I used to stay at the guy's house, Chiaki, the the distributor, and his wife. I forget her name, but we went to a karaoke, and she can not speak any English. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But when we went to the karaoke bar, she sang uh, Whitney Houston. 
and she killed it. Yeah. That's hard too. Yeah. Killed it. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck <laughs> is going on here? Yeah, exactly. And, and um, it, they, they take it really serious. We have a, serious. Yeah. It's so, insane. We had this uh, Japanese, uh, I had a Japanese roommate for a while, right? Yeah. And now she, mm-hmm. and now she is super shy mm. and can speak English, but boom, get him on the mic. Yeah. He was fucking killing it. And I'm just like, who, who are these people? Yeah. It's yeah. pretty funny. It's pretty anyway, funny. Sorry yeah. to sidetrack. Yeah. No, no, it's a, it's a wild little subculture in Japan, the yeah. whole karaoke thing. I've spent too much time in those rooms. It's crazy. <laughs> Um, but uh, they're all good memories. <laughs> good memories. Um, but yeah, so M- Masa and I became really good friends, and um, Masa and Moto uh, were childhood friends as well. They went to school together, so there was um, this really good like symbiotic kind of thing going on, like two Australian childhood friends, two Japanese childhood friends, and um, both Masa and Moto wanted to do something else together and like create a brand really together. And so Tim and I, and it was and their company, right? Yeah, yeah. So okay. it was, was Ma- Masa's company at the time and um and then they came to to me and and the critical slide team actually as a whole and like hey we want to start like another brand um and then jim Suze, and sam were like oh we're not really sure if we've got time to kind of do something else and i was like well how about let me find someone that can do it while we're doing critical slides so i went out and uh, spoke to tim tim um over some time kind of came around to the idea of, of leaving obviously a huge company owned by nike and have all, all these great resources to go to this like startup venture with people that he didn't know at the time as well so um what year was this around this 15? was 2013 13 yeah yeah so um we we, f- we first got product in store 2014 but 2013 was like when it, when it all kind of got kicked off um so uh yeah so tim kind of was starting the brand i was still at critical side for a little while for maybe six months um and was like transitioning out of that to to come uh, full-time with banks and help tim kind of so what why banks who come, came up with the name <laughs> So, <laughs> Banks is, so in America you call them sandbars, sandbars. the way it's break off. Yeah. Um, and Americans don't really understand what a sand bank is, it, yeah. it doesn't make sense. They still don't know what Billabong is either. Yeah, <laughs> totally. It's, it's a little bit of water. Um, but, uh, yeah, Who came so, up with Banks? Uh, Tim did. Tim worked mm-hmm. on like all of that stuff. So we're interviewing the wrong guy, you guys. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, Let's phone call in Tim right now. Where's he at? He's probably asleep right now. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, and then, like, the, the logo is, like, the uh, like a, a formation of waves, yeah, basically. Yeah. So it was definitely kind of surf-oriented. Sick name, by the way, and sick logo. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Cheers. Um, and then later on, Journal got added on... Um, a couple of years into it just because of some trademarking issues that we had the word banks isn't a very easily trademarked word unfortunately wow um so but i think in retrospect adding journal is added like a, a more contemporary kind of look and feel to, yeah. to the brand as a whole so yeah and it gives you that more storyline and kind of you could flow through the seasons and, and create kind of a you know marketing campaign around you know journaling exactly. and yeah. styling yeah. and totally. it's a great marketing yeah ad- addition because you know Brands tell stories and journal is a story. Right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we should start a brand. We should start yeah, a brand. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> three. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I think you're about time to move on to a new brand. Yeah, I've, I've, yeah, I've every three time. years, right? Yeah, yeah three, four years. years. Yep. 
Yeah. All right, we got, we're, we're, we're going to pitch something to you later. <laughs> okay. okay. We just need to tell you. He's staying in his day job here, you guys. Yeah. He's doing a good job. All right, so um, Tim. Yeah, so Tim, Tim and I were working on it. Then I was in Australia for about six months. And then um, the U.S. business was already kind of going a little bit. and But it just wasn't at the speed that we needed it to be. So um, Tim had, had a family and a wife. And I was a little bit less tied down. And so I was like, I'll, I'll go over and I'll set up the office and, and get the U.S. business kind of going along. And Moto, our CFO and co-founder, was already here, living here with his family in Irvine. Um, and then so we... Together, we kind of set up everything up here in the U.S. Um, and now it's uh, turning into a kind of our, our global headquarters, which is um, really good because it's our, our biggest kind of revenue stream globally. Yeah. And um, and it's it's been the U.S. has been a really fun ride, like going going from being like really on the creative sides of businesses in Australian centric kind of businesses as well, to then moving to the U.S. and being on a more kind of business kind of side of things has been a huge eye opener. And it's like going back to grad school, I think, for yeah. me. It's like, um, yeah, my, my whole life and, and kind of viewpoint on, on business has changed when, it, when it's like your own money and, and your own like life on, on the line. It's, yeah. It changes a lot. So it's... Um, it's cool, though. You've gained valuable experience in, in throughout the years with the different brands yep. to where, you know, it's educated you. For sure. And this right. is like the pinnacle. This is like, you know, you're in, you're in the mecca of... America surf culture and yep. surf industry. Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure it's you know not the quality of waves you're used to, <laughs> but you get to travel. But it, yeah, yeah, but it's not bad. No, it's not bad at all. Yeah. And like Huntington is so consistent. There's yeah. waves there every yeah. day of the year if you want to surf. Yeah, I just I, I'm I, I'm not hungry as hungry as I should be to be surfing at the moment. But you're yeah. probably a snob like Larson. Yeah, I a can bit be. Of a snob. Yeah, I'm so you guys. Yeah, not me. No, Lyndon thinks it's going off. I'm a every... groveler. <laughs> Don't listen to this guy when it's when, when he says three four feet. It's killer. Come on, come on down. <laughs> I've had those phone calls actually. <laughs> yeah. I've experienced that. Gosh, eternal grom over here. Totally, yeah. totally. Um, but uh, so started 2013. Yep, okay. yep. But first in store 2014. So got um, got started it. then. And how long have you been here? Like since 14? In this office here? Or no, no, just in America, like oh, with the brand. I've been here for almost five years wow. now. Yeah, so um, yeah, 2014, I came over. I spent the first six months, or first year in Laguna, um, but I, I, I was so confused by living on the beach that you can't really surf that much. It's yeah. weird, right? Yeah. Such beautiful coastline, but no so way. It was beautiful. Yeah. Killer like, skimboarding. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to do that though. So I need to, maybe I need to learn. Well, and move back to Laguna. No, remember what happened last time? Yeah, similar to sliding down don't, your don't driveway break, when you're drunk. You don't want to yeah. break it. You're gonna break an arm. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe that's why I've never done it. Um, but yeah, I was in Laguna for for like twelve months and, and loved it down there. But I, I needed to be um, around waves that I could surf. So I've been in Huntington Beach for since then. So, so you said you launched the first range that hit stores in two thousand fourteen. Yeah. Um, tell us about like that feeling of, of finally opening up doors with your own brand. It was it was it was really exciting. I, I think um, because I put so much of myself into to other brands, it felt similar to a uh, to a lot of degrees. Like I I'd, I'd put so much pride and effort into everything that I've done in my career so far that it was. Um, 
it didn't feel that dissimilar. I don't think. I mm-hmm. think if if you if but there's way more at stake. Way more at stake. Wait, so it's maybe a little bit more stressful that yeah. the sell through is going to be there yeah. or people are actually going to like the product. Um, so yeah, it was. Um, I think the the most exciting moment is when you see someone walking down the street that you don't know in right. a place that has nothing to do with you or the brand really and you see someone wearing something that you've designed or yeah. is from a brand that you're a part of like that that is to me is like the the pinnacle of kind of um success i yeah. guess like that that's it, it people earn hard-earned money and then they go out and buy something that you've made like there's for me there's not much better in life than that like yeah I, I love seeing people wear a product that we've done so that's kind of super exciting to me yeah who was your first account do you remember who was our first account? I think I think actually Thalia um, Surf Shop in Laguna was our first account. Nice. Um, here in the US. Uh, yeah, I think they were. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure they were our first account in the US. And now you're globally distributed? Yeah, we've got, um, I think we've got about 200 and 250 accounts here in the US. About Damn! Probably. That's um, awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Like they're they're from all scales, from Jack Surf Shop in Huntington to Thalia in Laguna to American Rag up in LA to Nordstrom Bloomingdale. So it's a, it's a very broad cross section of accounts yeah. that we've got, um, which is uh, very interesting to deal with because you're, you're dealing with different, such different levels of business. Yeah. Um, but uh, and here in this beautiful office in Newport Beach on yep. PCH. Yep. You, you have a team of... Um, there is myself, um, who I'm just a firefighter, I'm just usually putting out fires all day. <laughs> but, um, and then there's Tom Goad, who's our Californian sales rep, and then he also looks after some other kind of um, smaller territories throughout the US that don't have like a dedicated sales rep. Um, he's actually uh, worked at Critical Slide. That's, nice. that's how I met him. Um, and he's a, a really close friend of mine and, and is one of the hard, hardest working people I've ever met. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure being beside Is he an Australian too or is he American? No, he's American. Oh. So in this office, everyone's, uh, everyone except Moto is American. So there's um, uh, yeah, Tom Goad, who's California sales rep, Moto Noto, who's co-founder and our CFO. And then there's Chris, who does like operations, and then Natalie, who does accounts payable, accounts receivable, and then Ashton, who does like about our digital design stuff. Nice. And then um, from January, we're shifting our design team from Australia over to the US, so they'll be based here as well. So Chris, our designer, and then um, we're rehiring a production person at the moment too. So nice. They'll be Tim's few. still involved, or? Tim is um, he's going to stay in Australia and just look after the Australian business. Nice. So his um, he his kind of role is going to be very Australian specific moving forward from, from January. Yeah, which is um, which is a big transition in the business. But uh, I think um, that's where his roots are: family, kids, yeah. and yeah, yeah. yeah there's, there's a lot tying him to, to Australia. The family. Yeah, yeah. But Chris, our designer, is moving over with his two kids and and his wife. So yeah. that, that's going to be exciting for him I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to have him over here actually it's going to be really cool to Rad. have another Australian in the office um, but yeah so the, the, we, it's going to be great for the brand to be really centralised because we have had three offices we've got one in, in Tokyo as well one in Australia in Byron Bay and then one here and there's a lot of global functions spread across all three offices and we're trying to like really clean up our, our, our global business and become really 
more structured and streamlined, all, all the kind of global functions coming out of that one location and being able just one one version of the truth rather than like a few different people kind of chiming in here and there. So I think there's, um, for us, there'll be a major shift in what we do from January next year. Like yeah. we're going to be a lot more focused, which is um, what we need. Yeah. Well, shoot, nice. man. What, 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 yeah, what's coming down the pipeline? Anything like new? You guys are sticking to oh, what your team riders? Who's your team riders? Team riders, oh. yeah. We, um, so Jared Mel, who's a Newport Beach. Bang, local. bang, boogie. Yeah, bang, bang, boogie. Um, he, he's like a long border single fin style master. Style master, yeah. He's, um, grew up with people like Alex Nose and whatnot around here and, uh, is an amazing person. Um, I met him years ago in Bondi, actually. He, he's probably one of the original hipsters, and he's from America, so maybe you guys started it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but he, he, I met him in, in Bondi when he was writing for Insight. So he was, he was coming over to Bondi and hanging out in Australia a lot, and we, um, we spent a bunch of time together kind of partying in Bondi and became really good friends. And we've wanted to be in, like, I've, I've wanted him to be involved with lots of different brands I've worked for in the past and haven't been able to make it happen. And, and then um, when I first moved over, we, we connected and he came on board, which is, um, which is amazing. He's, uh, he gets involved with a lot of our photo shoots and helps us push it around a lot. So he's great. Um, then we've got Tom Morat, who's a, a, a young goofy footer from Noosa in Australia, another longboarder. And then um, Kahana Kalama, who's from Hawaii originally, but lives in San Diego. Um, he used to have a really great shop called Aloha Beach Club. Um, and uh, and Dane Peterson, who's also like our staff photographer and a Malibu kind of local longboarder guy as well. So most of our team riders, or all of them are more kind of unconventional um, yeah. longboard kind of people, which um, I think is just... Um, all eclectic people with great style. Yeah, yeah, and like to to be honest, like um, I mean, I would ride for you if. Well, he rides a lot of twin fins. Yeah, yeah, he's super hip. Don't don't you ride for Adenine? I do. <laughs> and and your short length shorts actually fit him perfect. Yeah, yeah, your sweatpants. The, the, hey, the, hey, hey. Um, but yeah, so like I think for small brands, um, having having team riders or ambassadors. Uh, that are more eclectic or ride different boards is um, more cost-effective yeah. in a lot of ways. Like yeah. short boarders are, are traditionally after a lot more money than what what um, uh, unconventional surfers are yeah. after, um, which is interesting because I think a lot of a lot of people are actually buying product because of these unconventional or yeah. like long boarders and, and retro surfers rather than just traditional short boarders these, these days, which I think has shifted a lot in the last like 10, 10 years or so. so. Yeah, I mean, it's got to identify with the brand, it's got to fit, but you, you, you can get a lot of marketing and different, you know, kind of customer reach yeah. by having these more eclectic and yeah, like sure. individuals. Yeah, because yeah. they've got a point of difference and they're, they're yeah. showing a, a part of surfing that yeah. maybe um, is, a, is a closer reflection to what's happening within the surf industry and, and the surf market at the moment. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, shoot. Yeah, this is awesome. We got a great look at what, uh, what Banks Journal and Raman McCabe has done. Um, yeah. Anything that you want to like promote or talk about or um just just wait one sec sure someone just knocked on the office door 
It was actually an amazing experience. There was um, like 25 kids who were studying design came in and um, asked a bunch of kind of interesting questions, which was yeah. like really cool. Nice. Um, and he just roasted some coffee for me. Dude, it's so, hey, cool. Payback. Right I just yeah, I just did a uh, class. Uh, my daughter goes to Edison right here, oh, high cool. school around the corner, and they have a Cybex program, yep. which is a Center for International Business and Communication Studies. It's cool. only school that does it yeah and it's it's literally like an entrepreneurship like class and it's four-year program through 9th through 12th awesome yeah so they go and shadow like companies and yeah. they learn the ins and outs of like the you know the business side of things it's cool. yeah. yeah yeah I think it's really interesting talking to to um, kids that or, or younger people that want to get into similar walks of life you for me anyway I learned a lot about like the things I'd forgotten about in design or even to do with the business yeah. and they're, they're asking these really interesting questions and making yeah. you think about what you're doing in a different way which I they're, think is really good yeah the youth yeah. is pretty they're pretty on it like yeah. as far as like and giving you just brutal honesty and you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's no filter there's no PG yeah. not that they're being nothing would they would say be disrespectful but like yeah. you said just what you know where they're at in their life and what's yeah. important to them and what they think is cool yeah. it's probably really refreshing to hear Totally, yeah, it was, it was really nice. It was um, a little bit daunting at first. I was like, oh my God, there's gonna be 24 kids in here and what am I gonna say? Am I gonna be boring? So it was, um, it worked out really good though. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, that's great. Awesome. So what's, shoot, what's, what's next? Yeah. Anything you wanna promote? Anything um, coming out that's like cool? Anything you wanna uh, share? We just, um, we actually just launched our, our second retail store. Um, Congratulations. In, in Hawaii last week, um, which is, Amazing. With John Ascara. Like, yeah, John Ascara, who's um, love that guy. You're, you're so in tune with everything. Yeah, bro. Gosh, I'm kind of omnipresent when it comes that way. You're using two bigger words. Bro. Yeah, I, I don't know what that means, but I loved it. I don't really know either. <laughs> I, it's probably I use it probably incorrectly, but it sounded good. It right? sounded great. I, I I bought into it. Whatever I was buying, I bought it, and I bought a lot of it. Um, but yeah, we, we just opened up our second retail store in, in Hawaii, which is uh, a really, really amazing space point of my, my career yeah. and, and the brand as well. Is, um, I, I tend to get pretty in deep with different projects that we do. So I spent a lot of time over the last two months in Hawaii and doing like 4am finishes, like building stuff along with uh, a couple other people that um that work with us and it was uh it was so rewarding seeing the space come together and um the hawaiian the the family of people that are around the brown in hawaii are just the, some of the most supportive people we've got in the like globally for us and yeah. um the opening night we had just the most beautiful bunch of people and it was like really um really nice we had like a a tra- traditional kahuna, uh, which is like a Hawaiian, yeah, priest yeah. came, and I hadn't hadn't experienced that before, so that so was cool. so amazing. Only thing is, I ate the bit of banana that was supposed to just sit in my tongue for a little bit, so he had to give me another bit, which was a bit embarrassing. Um, but apart from that, it went really well, and uh, 
Yeah. And beautiful lays and like very community yeah. driven there, and you get yeah, yeah. That, that cool like community you know family atmosphere. Totally. Whereas most other places, you have a store opening or a party, people are just there for the booze. Give me free booze. Yeah. yeah. As soon as that booze is over, gonna have? totally. Yeah. Where that was like just a, a real celebration of, of something new coming into um, yeah. Chinatown over there. So. It was, um, that was probably the, the biggest thing that we've had happen in the last kind of, yeah. like, I guess, six months that we've been working on for a while. And as you said, working with John Ascaro over there was great. He's um, an incredible designer and um, curator of, yeah. of fashion and, and, and just anything interesting, really. He's um, an amazing guy. I think he's probably one of the only hipster Filipinos I know. <laughs> Aside from you? Uh, you, you, so what you're trying to say is everything around me is just hipsters, huh? Is that uh, <laughs> birds of a feather flock together, huh? <laughs> um, yeah. but, um, As you were talking, I, I kind of had a flashback. Uh, I wanted to ask you a question on, on <clears throat> that fucking gnarly European bike tour you did. Oh, yeah. Dude. Yeah, what do you want to know? I don't... I mean, how many miles did you do? How many countries? <laughs> so, um... Uh, Where did you... Did you poo in the wild? Oh, mate, we did. We did, we did everything you could imagine. Um, so, who was the guy that you went with? Luke Farquhar, who's like my 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 closest friend in life. We've um, lived together. We've, we've drank together. We've we've done a lot together. And um, wink, wink. No, we just yeah, we had, we had we had a lot of fun. And so we he started cycling like maybe a year and a half ago, and um and then eventually convinced me to do it and I'm like okay I might get into it and he, he lives in Australia in Sydney obviously I live over here and um, we'd, u- we'd usually have like a, a holiday together once a year and we'd usually be surfing trips and we'd go to Indonesia or wherever and go surfing so for like let's go on this amazing European bike ride <laughs> yeah well, tour day. so yeah we, we were like well next year let's maybe go on a bike tour somewhere so um, we both packed up our bikes and you bought London. serious bikes, right? Like yeah, yeah, we, serious we like road proper bikes. road bikes and get in the lacquer and stuff like that. It's um, and it's fun. And lycra. Yeah, so full body suit. Yep, and um, that was fucking gnarly. Yeah, yeah. So we we met in London and we spent like four days in London, and, um, just kind of uh, making ourselves very unprepared for riding for a week straight. And then we flew to Berlin with our bikes, Un- unprepared for riding. Yeah, so very a lot unprepared. Of partying. Just having fun, yeah. Yeah. Fight, fight, yeah. Cigarettes. Yep, lots of those, unfortunately. <laughs> and any kids out there don't smoke cigarettes. Don't smoke. It's terrible. No vaping. Um, yep, no vaping, nothing like that. So we um, we flew to Berlin and uh, hung in Berlin for a few days, built our bikes, got ready for this trip, and then hit the road. And we, um, our first day, we'd, been, we'd gone out and literally got home from um, being out at the pub and at like 4am and we're like we should just leave now so we were like still kind of a little bit booze and we're packing up our bikes and everything was on our bikes so we're like bikepacking with these like road bikes um and so we set off and we're like we both can't really remember the first did you have a map like hold on you you had a what what was your goal what was your intent like what for the trip yeah the trip the get to A to B to C so so yeah we were we we left Berlin and our, our end part was um, Copenhagen so we rode Denmark. through yeah to Denmark so we rode how many miles is that uh, I think it's about 480 miles from Berlin to, yeah. to Denmark okay. yeah um, so we set off and uh, it was 
it was amazing how he's, many he's been here too long when he's using miles or kilometers yeah yeah i know i know <laughs> yeah definitely he's, he's assimilated <laughs> yeah i have i have um i don't even know what kilometers are anymore um so we we set off and we were just riding from village to village basically and outside of the the major cities in in germany or even denmark there's not much going on there's like you're riding through like a couple hundred year old villages with no shops like nothing and basically all there is in each town is a church so you'd rock up to the church you fill your water bottles up they have like every church in in um germany basically has like a, a water fountain down the back that that um people use to fill up the flower jars for the cemetery so you can go there you fill it up and then ride on so we'd go for like literally a day without seeing anything like no food around and nothing it was like so insane but along the way we met like incredible people that opened their doors to us and um felt sorry for these two weird australians riding across europe in the lycra and um, so they'd, they'd bring us in, feed us. And what time of year? Was it summer? Yeah, it was middle of summer. Okay. So it was a beautiful time of year. Yeah. It, was, it, was, it was really warm. and um, you kept hearing, the hills are alive. Yeah, did, exactly. Did, did you like say each day we're going to make it to this stop? Did you yeah. have it like that planned out? Like, yeah. hey, we're this next town's X amount of miles away. Exactly. We'll set up camp there. So yeah. it was pretty planned. Yeah, pretty planned. It wasn't we, like ride to you're tired and then... No, no. It was like... Um, like a hundred, hundred and so miles a day, basically that we're riding, um, and the bikes, those bikes, are, you can do that pretty easily when you don't have all your gear with you. But we had like clothes and stuff for us with us that were meant to be non-cycling as well so like just normal shoes yeah. and whatnot my so you had your hipster clothes sort of like when you show up to yeah. town yeah. throw it out and look good exactly I had my Doc Martens <laughs> strapped around my neck just ready to throw on just in and case yes ladies and gentlemen he is wearing Doc Martens <laughs> always let's, at let's, the moment let's bring the heaviest shoes I could find and yeah. put it on the back of the bike yeah exactly exactly <laughs> it was definitely a mistake looking back on it or maybe it wasn't, um, but uh, yeah. So we were we set off and, and rode to um, a, place, a place called Rostock, which is a major port city at the top of um, Germany to, that takes you over to Denmark. And we got there like we we missed a couple of our deadlines, and we got there like a half a day late basically, and missed the ferry. And we were like, what are we going to do? It's middle of summer. Everywhere was booked out. We spent like two hours riding around Rostock, and we could not find a place to stay. No hostels, no... Nothing. Work. Everything was booked out. Um, so we went to this bar like that's on the um, on the waterway there, and it's middle of summer, so there's people everywhere. Like, Europeans love celebrating summer more than anyone on Earth. Yeah. And so there's this cool little bar there, and we were like, maybe we should just have, like, a few beers, get kind of drunk, and we'll just, like, go sleep in a church somewhere or something. Because a lot of the, a lot of the uh, bike track, there's churches like i was saying before and you, they're always open 24 hours a day so you can just go in there and like crash out if you really need to um so we're like yeah let's just maybe do that tonight because then got... just crash it out wherever he falls over yeah <laughs> um so we we were Pretty in this much. bar and this um this bartender was like hey what are you guys doing like do you need a place to look like you need a place to stay and Luke was like, we actually do. We've got nowhere. We're just going to like have a bunch of beers here and just pass out somewhere, really. Were you in your like, at the bar? Yeah, 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 yeah. We were. We were. We, we stayed in a the rainbow run. flag anywhere? There was a couple. There was a couple. I think I had a rainbow on my, my sock. Anyway, um, we, um, 
she ended up opening her she, oh she, she not yeah, this bartender it, no but she she had a boyfriend as well so what happened she was like hey i'll just check with my boyfriend to see if you guys can stay at my apartment <laughs> and we're like okay this is kind of weird maybe they're gonna kill us or something so the boyfriend rocked up he ended up being like a, a big cyclist and he was like oh cool your bikes look good you look like you know what you're kind of doing we don't at yeah, all but yeah, yeah. We, we had the right stuff i guess and so we rode back to their apartment. Which is so judgmental, by the way. Yeah, yeah, completely, completely. <laughs> but it did help. Yeah, it did. Um, so we got back to their house, um, or their apartment, and ended up staying the night. We got up in the morning at like 4 a.m. before they even got up and bailed and went to the ferry, got on the ferry, went over to um, Denmark and then rode from the bottom of Denmark up to Copenhagen um, and uh, finished the trip in, in Copenhagen if anyone's been there it's like the most beautiful city in the world like it's architecturally style like design wise it's yeah. like amazing um, and then we had like four days there to kind of just um, decompress from being on a bike um, for how many like days weeks. it was like four and a half days wow. on a bike yeah uh, four, four days 400 and something miles yeah 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 so it was like on average 110 120 miles a day that's amazing that's a killer trip it was fun it was um it was, i would never do it but i i would suggest do it it's it's, <laughs> it's a really good trip you, you meet a lot of great people where like i think traveling or the way i traveled in the past was like you you're in a car and you're very kind of closed off yeah. to people yeah unless you're like in a specific spot where you are open to meeting people but being on a bike and being vulnerable in some degree you just you attract people to you very easily especially yeah. if you're, you're very foreigner. accessible you're like yeah. hey what are you doing like exactly yeah well just yeah. No take, like when you say you know on a when you travel you gotta take in the scenery i mean what better way to take in the scenery too yeah yeah the scenery we, we, the culture the all that like you yep. That's amazing. Like, yeah. You're fucking all day long on a bike. Yeah, all you know, day 100, long. 100 miles a day. That's that's a that's a eight hour nine hour day. Yeah, most most days it was like nine hours on the bike. Yeah, yeah. so it, it, you're you're in a bit of pain after that period of time, and, and the, the the saddles that you're sitting on are not comfortable. They're yeah. horrible Saddle. things. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like yeah. I, I I could have never imagined that I'd ever be cycling, but. Um, I, I really enjoy it now. It's a nice, like, surfing for me is, has been something that is a very clearing kind of um, meditative thing, kind of. It lets me de-stress a lot and, and get away yeah. things that are going on in life or business. And um, and now cycling is a similar kind of thing because it's just, like, very repetitive and you're by yourself and you can just kind of ride and, yeah. you know, it's not depending it's all, on It's almost like meditation. Thing. It is. So, yeah. yeah, I really enjoy it now, which is... um feels weird to say but you still do it yeah be careful yeah i was just gonna say be careful do the riverbed do the bike path don't go on the pch i do pch a little bit i go i ride to laguna and back a fair bit and um but i do go up river jetties up to angel stadium a lot and back um but uh it is definitely dangerous it's it's and i just think like there's a lot of bike riders and cars that are unaware of each other so it's 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 neither in certain circumstances, it's neither people's fault. It's just yeah. that um, yeah, you're unaware of other yeah. people. Like in the well, you're there's just a bunch of idiots out there on their phone uh, all the time. You're quite the adventurer and risk taker, and yeah. you know you're you're you know it seems to show in your success of like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go for it and try it and yeah you know from all your business opportunities and moving from you know different parts of Australia to Indo to here. I mean, it's pretty. 
pretty awesome. So far, your body of work and uh, experience is a cool story. Thanks. You know? I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, it's... um. You're Get a, out of your comfort zone, people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's been, the best thing about the whole thing is meeting new and interesting people and getting to talk to people like yourselves and yeah. getting um, different perspectives on, on life along the way, which yeah. is um, super important when you come from a small town and then you get into the world and it's it's a great thing meeting new people yeah so, yeah yeah being cool just be cool yeah <laughs> just be cool people well shoot rama mccabe congratulations on building a great business with banks journal um let's go surfing sometime soon yeah let's do it i love right. that All thanks right. guys thanks peace buddy. thanks for hanging out cheers cheers Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a five-star rating and spread the word. Special thanks to our good friends, James Williams for our awesome artwork and Justin Reynolds for the amazing music.